Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. It's like you're all feeling chipper. The cooler weather helping out. Good to see a lot of flannel. Joel, awesome. Rocking the buffalo check. I love it. So good. Hey, we're going to get into the scriptures this morning and do a little Bible study. We're in the book of Acts. If you're visiting with us this morning or you're fairly new this summer, welcome again. We are glad that you're here. And we look forward to getting to know you. I'm, I'm confident that you were well greeted this morning. I can always brag on this group of people in particular because they're super hospitable. And they continue to be. And people that are coming are hospitable. So if you're not hospitable, you may not fit in. <laughs> but you can become hospitable. We have faith that that will happen. All right. Bible study. Acts 2. You guys got your scriptures out? We will have some scriptures up here, but you will like it even better if you follow along in your Bible, whether that's turning pages or clicking on pages. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word and for all of those um, men and women throughout history who worked hard to preserve it and protect it, who even gave up their lives, God. Thank you for them. And we pray now as we talk together, as we study, as we consider that, again, your word would be living and active that it would show us the hope that we have, that would remind us, Father, of what we need to know. Holy Spirit, enrich each of us as we need it through the Scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in chapter 2 today. We're actually right in the middle of chapter 2. So I want really briefly to walk you from the beginning of the book to where we are, just so that we see what we're studying today in context. I'm going to move around a little bit. Can we all see okay? Are we good? All right. So, in chapter 1, one of the critical verses that we read says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So this is Jesus speaking to probably about 100 or 120 of his disciples. And this morning, it'd be helpful if you consider yourself that crowd. So you are the disciples. You are the first disciples. So who wants to be Peter? Oh, Peter, you can be Peter. Yeah. Who wants to be John? Anybody want to be John? There's a John. John, you can be John. This works good when you have the name already. Is there a Mary in the house? Is there a Mary here this morning? No. Uh, no? Okay. Uh, Shannon, well, Shannon, you can be Mary today. You have that Mary look. Just sweet, young. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you're older at this point, so sorry about that. You have adult sons. Yeah, Jesus was one of them, FYI, yeah. And then there was James and some other adult sons. So you are the disciples this morning. Hear these words in this way. So Jesus has come uh, to us. He's been around for 50 days, and this is his last day with us, but we don't know it. And he says this to us. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you'll be my witnesses. You've been with me throughout my ministry and now you will be the ones to carry on. And the Holy Spirit will give you power to do that. That's who you are. And then he ascends into heaven, as we talked about last week, or two weeks ago. And then Jonathan was here in Acts 2. So the one place I want you to remember in Acts 2 is this spot where it says, and notice this is the fulfillment of the very words that we just read from Jesus in chapter 1. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were standing in Jerusalem, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
Just for the fun of it, let's try to sound like 120 people speaking 15 different languages. Anybody know a language other than English? We've got some Spanish over here. Is it all Spanish? Anything else? Spanish and English. Okay. Korean. Okay, Korean needs to be loud. <laughs> Spanish needs to be not quite as loud. English needs to be super quiet. And if you can make something up, that would be awesome. Pig Latin, Pig Latin works. One, two, three, speak. All right, all right, not bad, not bad. <laughs> that was good. Peter just started using random foreign words like teriyaki and taco. <laughs> well done. Now that, FYI, was not, not the gift of the Spirit there. That was, we, were, we were mimicking to get the idea, just to be clear. But this is what happened, and notice what it says. Remember, Jesus said, that's okay, stay there, Peter. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. And when we hear that prophecy, we know, well, that's going to be over a couple of thousand years. But have you really caught the fact that, like so many prophecies, this one was fulfilled instantly and at a later date? Super common with prophecy. So when Isaiah talks about the vir- Hosea, will, the virgin will conceive, and when that happens, certain things will happen. There was a young woman who, at the time that the prophecy was given, was a virgin. Now, she didn't have an immaculate conception. She had a husband, and she had a baby. But there was an immediate prophecy that happened in that prophecy. And then there was a far prophecy, which was Jesus. And this happens a ton in the scriptures. Prophecy is given. It has a short-term fulfillment, and it has a long-term fulfillment. This prophecy that Jesus gave, the Holy Spirit will come and you will be my witnesses, actually happened on this day. And it wasn't that they had to go to those nations, but on this day, the nations came to them. So this is the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest. It's seven weeks after the Feast of Passover. So any good religious Jew who had the money was making pilgrimages back to Jerusalem. This was one of those three annual pilgrimages. That's why there were 15 nations in the city of Jerusalem on this very day. So the prophecy was fulfilled in a single day initially. You will be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. That's why, as Jonathan told us last week, this gift was so incredible, because Galileans only speak Galilean, just like most of you only speak English. But he had purposely assembled all these people who were Jewish people, followers of Yahweh, to be in the city on this day, and they stepped out and they talked about Jesus for who knows how long in all of these languages. Pretty incredible, but the prophecy was fulfilled. Now, what does this do when over the next few decades, the believers begin to go out and preach the good news and go into other places and heal people and talk about Jesus? What does this day set them up for? There's a bit of a forerunner here, right? It's kind of like John the Baptist for Jesus. John the Baptist said, hey, something's coming, and it's really amazing, and then Jesus came. So here, there were people who witnessed what happened here, and obviously what they would do when they got home was tell the story. We were in Jerusalem, and this thing happened. So now, years or months or even a decade or two later, when the gospel comes to all these places, they remember the story. Oh, yeah, that amazing, miraculous day when these things were spoken. So important to remember. Now, this is a two-part message. Part one uh, is in, of Acts 2, 
Jonathan gave us last week, and we talked about the miracle I just reminded you of. What we have now is the miracle of Peter's preaching. And the miracle is everything Peter said was good and right. Do you understand what a miracle that is? Who is Peter? Peter's the guy who says when Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet, he says, no, don't wash my feet. That's a bad idea. He says this to Jesus. I mean, come on. Is Jesus getting the story wrong? Peter thinks so. No, I know a better story. And he says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, we don't have any connection. We don't have any kismet or whatever. And he says, well, then, Lord, wash my whole body. Come on, Peter. No, I don't need to wash your whole body. Calm down. I just need to wash your feet. So here's Peter. I just imagine, I wonder if the other apostles saw Peter step forward to preach and went like, oh, shoot. (laughs) What is he going to say today? Where is he going to go? They have no idea. But what happens is he steps up literally full of the Holy Spirit, not only to speak in different languages, but to speak with tremendous wisdom and authority and clarity. And that's just what this message is. And Peter basically asks and answers one question, and that is, what do we do with Jesus? He's going to start out by telling us what God did with Jesus. And this is the gospel story. Jesus, as you know, is the center of the gospel story. And the big question for every human is, what are you going to do with Jesus? But first we look at what did God do with Jesus. So we'll go through some scriptures real quick and read them, and then we will answer that question. So Acts 2.22, Peter begins, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So again, the audience is back for another pilgrimage. They were here in Jerusalem 50 days ago for the Passover. So this crowd was a part of the crowd that said, Hosanna, and then a week later it said, crucify him. This is that crowd. So they know this whole story. These are the men of Israel. And now he wants to talk about Jesus. So what did God do? The first thing God did was, He gave credit to who Jesus was and confirmed him by miracles and by signs. And remember, this is the most critical and the most valid affirmation that a Jewish person could get that Yahweh was up to something. This is how God has always spoken to his people. He does something only a God can do, not something that humans can do. And so through Jesus, through signs and wonders, do you remember when John was in prison and was struggling with wondering, did I, did I invite the right man into the story? Did the man that I point to, was that really Jesus? And he sends his disciples to ask, Jesus, are you actually the Messiah I was talking about or not? And what was the response that he was given? Tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the deaf hear, and the gospel is preached, signs and wonders. So these are the credentials that these people are used to and that they believe in, and God gives Jesus those credentials. Next verse, Acts 2.23, point number two. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Notice behind the story is a bigger story. The story of Israel was this man appears to be blaspheming. 
He's saying things we don't believe. He's claiming to be God himself. These things can't be true. And so we are going to kill him. But behind the story that the humans are living out is God's story. And it says, God's deliberate plan. So God uses everything and everyone to carry out his plan. So what God did in the midst of that kind of rebellion was he purposed the death of Jesus Christ by execution. This was God's plan. What God is doing is he's telling the story that was happening behind the story. He's reminding the Jewish people of the story of Passover and the story of Jesus, and he's telling them behind the story that you know, there's a bigger story. There's God's story. And God's story is what he was doing with Jesus. Let's keep moving. Verse 24, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to hold him down. So the third thing God did was to bring Jesus back to life. There's about 10 or 15 verses now that cover this one idea that we don't have time to go into today, but what he's going to talk about is the prophecy of David. So David had several spiritual gifts, and one of them was prophecy. And very often when he was inspired by the Spirit and writing a song, some of that song would flow beyond his own mind. And God would actually give him his own thoughts, God's own thoughts. So laden within many of the Psalms is clear prophecy. And you know it's prophecy when it doesn't make sense to David's life. And that's exactly what Peter points out in the rest of the scriptures that follow this. He says, David talks about not decaying. David decayed. His grave is here in the city of Israel. And if we wanted to, we could dig it up and we would see that he has turned to dust and ashes. So he wasn't talking about himself. And this goes on and on. But what we see God was doing is God was raising him from the dead. A little bit more about prophecy. Acts 2.30 says, But David was a a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. So again, one of David's prophecies that he understood was, that the king, the permanent king, the eternal king of both Israel and mankind would be a descendant of David himself. And that's what we see here with Jesus. And so that's why we have the genealogies in Matthew and in Luke. Those are are, um, genealogies, family trees that show us both through the line of Joseph and through the line of Mary that Jesus fulfills the prophecy. What Peter is doing is giving tremendous proof to Jewish people. What do they believe in? They believe in Yahweh. What else do they believe in? They believe in signs and wonders. What else do they believe in? They believe in prophecy. And what Peter is saying is God has answered all of your questions. And God has talked to you in the way that you understand. You have prophecy. You have miracles. Let's keep going. Acts 2.33. Now we get to the story outside of the human story. And it says this, exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. This is a part of the story that is not open to the eyes of humans, and so we get a glimpse into that other dimension of the spiritual realm and of heaven. And this is where we hear some kind of mystical things, but basically God says, not only have I exalted Jesus onto the throne of David, which is a human throne for a human nation, but I have exalted Jesus to a throne in heaven next to me, which is a throne over every power and every principality and every influence that exists in the spiritual realm. 
So Jesus has been placed as king over Israel and king over all spirits in the spiritual realm. And secondly, God has given a spirit to Jesus to give the church. And this is the wonderful beauty, beautiful story of where the spiritual realm and the human realm overlap. This is where they intersect. And this is what the kingdom of God is all about. In the beginning, the realm of God and the realm of man were the same. Eden was a focused place where heaven and earth were one place. It says in the scriptures that God took a walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day every day. God was here on the earth, and Adam and Eve were here on the earth. Heaven and earth were one. Through sin and through the rejection of God, heaven and earth had to separate because heaven will not become corrupt. The earth had to become corrupt. And what God has been doing throughout our entire history as humans is bringing these two realms back together to be one. Jesus is the tremendous bridge between the two. Jesus is Son of God, person of the Godhead, spiritual, and a human being who was born, lived, died, and was resurrected. Jesus is the bridge between the two. And we are now called to be the same thing. Though we have fleshly bodies, apparently God has said, I have given you an eternal spirit that is my own spirit. And so you are a new kind of human. We are not like everyone else, even if we have a hard time believing it. We are humans in temporary bodies who are lived in by God himself through the Holy Spirit. Now, granted, that living is deep within us. It's deep within our souls and deep within our spirits, and it's, it's actually easy to live life without a consciousness of that or to let that life and that spirit and that power live through us. So we can, if we choose, continue to live out of the strength of who we are without the spirit. But the point is you have been given the Holy Spirit. This is what God did for us. So here is where the sermon lands. This is the main point that Peter wants to make. Therefore, Acts 2.36, Therefore, based on everything I just told you, let all of Israel be assured of this. God, Yahweh, has made this Yeshua, Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's the hammer if there ever was a hammer to drop in this scenario. The most amazing thing is what happens next. The people receive the message. The response is, brothers, what must we do? This is the greatest miracle of all because these people actually heard Jesus Christ teach. They heard Jesus Christ teach in parables. They heard Jesus Christ give sermons. They did not respond. They killed him. Out of their own flesh, they killed him. But the Holy Spirit is here not just to speak in languages because it's needed at the time, not just to fill Peter with the Holy Spirit to give the most amazing message he's ever given, but the Holy Spirit is here for the sake of listeners to receive. And they received, and they heard it, and this is the miracle. So the question that we're asking today is, what do we do with Jesus? We looked at what God did. What did the Jewish people do with Jesus initially? Help me out. What did they do? Sorry, Gail. Completely rejected him, didn't believe he had any authority, and they partnered with their enemies, their hated enemies, the Romans who they despised, and they said, hey, let's do this together. Let's kill Jesus. This is like the ultimate rebellion, to reject the one who came in their name, sent by their God, 
and they killed him along with Romans who they hated. Acts 2.23 says, You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. Now, we don't want to be too heavy in condemning these people because we know they were human like us. And apparently, and probably in the same situation, we would have had the same response. This is just a human response apart from the Holy Spirit. It made sense in the story. We're confused. We don't understand. We're angry. We're afraid. We are being persecuted by the Romans. We're just reacting, and this is our reaction. And so we should have mercy and grace when we think about what what happened to Jesus through these people. But the most important question for us today actually follows that. What does God invite us to do with Jesus? And this was the great hope that happened on this day. What did God invite even those who crucified Jesus to do with him? And this is the response to Peter's message. So the message is God has made Jesus both Messiah and Lord. What shall we do? Here's what you are to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. This is the response not just to Jews who crucified Jesus and Romans who crucified Jesus, but this is their appropriate response for every human being. Repent and be baptized. So let's, let's not be first century Jewish Christians anymore. <laughs> let's be us. Let's make that switch right now and just say, <clears throat> have we done this? What in general would you say that we as a culture and as a people, humans living in 2018, generally do with Jesus? Not Christians in particular, but humans in the U.S. of A. In general, what does America do with Jesus? Put him on the shelf, push him to the side, use his name as a curse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Directly deny. Yeah, right? Yes, to take on the name of Jesus or say I'm a Christian, knowing that'll be leverage into certain places. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what else, Tom? Yeah. Right, right. So they see him as a source for some things I might need, but certainly not as the guiding force in my life anymore. Yeah. And, and we are not condemning people. We are, this is what humans do in our confusion and in our misunderstanding and without the help of the Holy Spirit. We just go all kinds of crazy directions, and we don't get it. And, and we all have been those people, and we all can be those people. So let's ask this last question, and this is the question where we want to sit a little bit here. What are we doing with Jesus? The good news is God sent his Holy Spirit, and that Spirit worked in you at some point in your life to to help free you from being one of those people who did everything you shouldn't do with Jesus. Ignore him, or use his name to swear, or use him as 
an advantage to your own life. The Spirit has come to you and given you grace, and you have said, I know who Jesus is now. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Messiah, and he came to open the door between me and God the Father. And so you've taken that step. And hopefully, too, you notice that Peter said both Messiah and Lord. And this, this is where the Messiah part happens somewhat in an instant when we believe it. But this Jesus as Lord part is kind of a lifelong piece to it. I would say, in a way, every day when you wake up, you are resurrected, and you get to answer the question, what will I do with Jesus today? He's my Messiah. Nothing has changed. I didn't lose my salvation overnight. But, but what about Lord? What about Lord? Am I waking up today to Jesus as Lord, as Master, as the guide for my life? This is the question that we need to ask. What did Jesus say it looked like to receive him as Lord? I would say that John 15 gives us about the best answer you're going to find. What it means for Jesus to be Lord is a beautiful thing because it actually begins with the word friendship. And this blows my mind. Jesus, King of the universe, God, Son of God, says the relationship that I offer you I am Messiah, and I am Lord, and I want to call you friend. And so I, I, just, I say that to make sure to set us free from this idea that God wants to dominate and that God wants to rule in some sense of domination or control or make us do something we don't want to do. That's not the relationship God is after. To have Jesus as Lord in our lives actually means a very intimate friendship, and that's where it all begins. It's really lifting us to an incredible place of exaltation to say, I'm your Lord, I'm your Messiah, come be my friend. But that's the invitation. Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves. And that's what I want to call you away from today is any sense of this idea that when you make Jesus Lord, it's some kind of slavery. It's no kind of slavery at all. If you're thinking that way, you're still living in that confused, Holy Spiritless state. But that's what this means. But what it means for us is to abide with Jesus. It means to invite him in as he invites us in to our lives. Jesus says, come be my friend, and this is what my life is about. My life is about loving every human who will receive my love. That's my agenda for my life. I'm Jesus, and what I want is for every human to know I'm offering my friendship and I'm offering connection with God. And then Jesus asks us, what's your agenda for your life? What do you pray for? What do you need? And he says, I'll partner with you as well. I will be a partner, as Jonathan said. He's been working on finding a job, and for a while he hunted for the job on his own, kind of struggled and was full of strife and worry, and then he thought, hey, why am I doing this by myself? And he invited Jesus into the process, and it's been a different story, right? There's this sense of partnership. There's a little bit of prophecy happening there. There's some senses of peace and direction that the guide, the Holy Spirit, is giving you. This is the call of God to us. What I want to ask you, though, as a church today, I think we're probably doing a good job of inviting Jesus into our life. And if you're not, I hope you would. Um, as much as God came, Jesus came, to deliver the Jewish people from misunderstanding and anger and angst, he came to deliver you, this generation, from fear and anxiety. 
if there's any way that we are deeply failing to obey Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, it's not in this outright shaking your fist at God, but it's in a very strong disbelief that God loves me and that he's going to take care of me and my children and my husband and my wife. We are definitely outside of the will of God when we live in strife and when we live in anxiety and when we live in worry. And unfortunately, our culture doesn't say that. And, and there's almost kind of this, how is weak? Oh, super busy. Yeah, I'm concerned about this and that. And actually, the way we talk and the way we converse almost says, like, that's a badge or that's, that's just how we are as humans and it's fine. But as I hang out with, with, with God and I look at the scriptures and I pray, I just hear God saying, man, that's not fine. That's not okay. That's not what I called you to. Yes, I did not call you to rebellion and anger, but I did also not call you to fear and anxiety. And if I'm Lord of your life, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Stop being afraid. Stop being anxious. Stop worrying. Jesus said, and we quote this all the time in Matthew 6.33, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And that's not, hey, here's a good rule for life, or here's a self-help idea. It's the command of the master to his friends, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. You've got to trust me. I am in control. And the story in the front is kind of crazy and chaotic, but behind the story, I am working on a bigger story. And so what Jonathan saw was he got fired. He was rejected. What God saw was, I want to move you into a place where you can flourish more than you are now. I want to use your life as a testimony to some people you haven't met yet. I have new plans for you that are richer and bigger. That's the God story behind the people story. And God is inviting us into that story. But the only way to live into the bigger God story is you have to trust him. You've got to trust that no matter what goes on, God is working out a bigger story. And I have to add, because you guys know this, that the story in front of us, the human story, the daily story, has not only your will acting in it and the will of God, it has the will of the enemy and it has the will of other people. So in the story in front of you that you're living, there is deep tragedy. And there is horrible brokenness. And awful things happen. And that's not like, oh, yippee, this is the will of God for me. The will of God is what is happening behind that story. The will of God is the way he redeems that story over time and turns the most tragic things, like losing children when you never should lose children, into amazing and tremendously beautiful stories. God will work it out. This is the call. Not only do we receive the distraction of not living in this story and live with anxiety that we shouldn't have to, but there are people on the planet who you see every day who are living without a powerful witness of Jesus. When we live lives that are fearful and anxious and too busy to pay attention and kind of in our own little world, not only are we experiencing a life we don't need to, but the people around you aren't experiencing the life of someone who is full of trust and faith and hope and peace and belief. And that's what Jesus has called us to. That's the agenda that he has, is that we would be so confident, content, 
hopeful, joyful, believing that better things are coming in five minutes and in five years and in 500 years. These are the people we're invited to be. And that's where this witness, this power to witness comes from. And today, I think the greatest thing that we can remember is God isn't saying, hey, would you work hard at that? He's saying, I have given you my Holy Spirit, which is the power to do the very thing I'm asking you to do. In Jerusalem on that date, what he needed was 15 languages being spoken. He probably doesn't need languages right now in our life. What does he need in our life? Well, he needs trust. He needs faith. He needs confidence. He needs hope. He needs joy. And all of these things are the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to call Colossae Sherwood as a, as a community to say, let's go after more of the Holy Spirit. I said this two weeks ago. <laughs> but I hope you understand more clearly what I mean right now. I'm not saying let's go after languages and have you articulate 15 beautiful languages in this room. That wouldn't really serve anything. I, the one thing it would serve is to know that the Holy Spirit was working. But I'm not sure that would be the gift God would give us because I think that would get confusing. And some of you might leave because it looks like something you're afraid of. But what would God give us today? If we prayed for more of the Holy Spirit, what would that look like? Would it look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control? Anybody up for more of that in your life? Yeah, right? I mean, you're doing it, right? I'm not preaching to rebellious sinners here. I'm talking to my friends, but I'm saying I'm pretty sure there's a lot more and that we could go for that more if we just go for it and we be deliberate about it and we talk about it and we practice it and we tell stories to each other. How are you doing this, Dan? How is this working for you? Well, this is what happened last week. Here's just a beautiful little illustration. You kind of told this story a little bit. Um, I, was, I started my day later two weeks ago, and I said, God, I just want to walk with you today and do the things you have for me to do. So I was driving to Sherwood in the morning, which I do a lot, and uh, he said, clear the front seat, because somebody's going to sit in there. And I had my bag, and I had books on the floor, and so I'm driving, and I'm clearing the seat. And I start looking at the bus stops, and the first bus stop is empty, and the second bus stop is empty, but there's a man running from the second bus stop. And I just had the sense, there, that's it, that's it. So I pull over, and I didn't do it very well. There's a big truck right behind me. But I just knew, I'm just obeying God, this is what I need to do. This is what the Spirit is saying. And I rolled down my window, and the guy comes over to me kind of reluctantly, and he says, yes. And I said, can I give you a ride? And he said, what? I said, can I give you a ride? Yes, please, oh my gosh. Open the door, get in. It's starting to rain, it's starting to get wet. And he gets in, and he said, you're amazing, you're awesome. And I'm, okay, uh, whatever. So we start driving, and I take him there. And, and later he says, you are such an angel, this is incredible. And he tells me his story, and I'm just going, wow, God, this is costing me pretty much nothing. I was already driving in this direction, but I was listening. I was partnering with the Holy Spirit, and so I did this. And he said, can you take me to Safeway? So I pull off to the Safeway there in, in South Tigard, drop him off. He said, you don't know what this was. This was amazing. Thank you so much. And I said to him, God is with you today. God is with you today. And I drove away. And I got to my meeting on time. <laughs> so zero sacrifice. But there was the cost of agreeing with God that Jesus will be not only my Messiah today, but my Lord. And he has an agenda, and I have an agenda, and we're going to get them both done. 
and he's going to help me with my agenda. After that, I had an incredible meeting with a friend that needed to happen. That was kind of my thing. But God had an agenda as well. There's a man in Tiger that I want to love who right now is deeply frustrated and afraid and needs to know that I'm with him. Can you do that for me today? Yes, Jesus, I can do that for you today. This is the call of God on us. Pay attention. Be filled with the Spirit and be ready to respond. I want to camp on one word in our time of worship as we respond. The first word that Peter says was repent and be baptized. Is there an instance today or is there a place where where we need to repent? And when Jesus invites you to repent, I hope that you see it as a very loving and cleansing and healing thing, not a I'm going to condemn you unless kind of thing. That was the repentance around whether Jesus is Messiah or not. But when we repent of failing in the area of lordship to Jesus, it's healing and it's tenderness, and it's change. It's not condemnation and trying to get out from under condemnation. So that's the kind of repentance I want to invite you to today, if it's appropriate. Is there anything that you need to confess between you and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to say today, Jesus, I need to repent of apathy. I kind of haven't really cared, and that's not what you're asking me to. I need to care Jesus, I'm sorry that I haven't cared about others. Maybe it looks like that. Or maybe it's around fear or anxiety or any number of things. But is there something you want to... Because what this repentance will do if you do it is it'll get it out of the way. And then you can say, okay, Jesus, that's out of the way. Fill me again with your Holy Spirit. Give me power to be a witness and to be a partner and to be a friend with you today. That's the invitation of Jesus. So, Consuela, you guys ready? Come and and let's get ready to worship God in music. Uh, I want to remind you, and if you're visiting, we have a couple of tables set up with bread and wine and juice, and this is that place where you can just come and say, thank you, Jesus, I remember today your death on the cross for me. You were my Messiah, and this is how you made me Messiah. There's boxes there to do some giving. If you give in that way, you're welcome to do that. But also, there's music where we can worship, And where we can create an atmosphere where here's some time right now for you just to ask the Holy Spirit, what do I need to repent of? What do I need to repent of? And I encourage you just to say yes to that, repent of it, and receive more of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we recognize.